0: Well, life beyond, and there are lots of exciting things going on in our missions department. Not only are we adding missionaries to our number, but our missions director is adding numbers to our nursery. Uh, Naomi is expecting soon. Uh, probably not too soon, huh Can't come soon enough, is my guess now at this point. but uh, Naomi will be going out on maternity leave in uh, in short order, and April Hubbard will be taking the baton from her and stepping up um, and filling her shoes uh, full time. She's already um, working with yeah, it's wonderful. So glad to have April. She's already um, around uh, part time helping with children's ministry and missions and that sort of thing. She'll be stepping up to the plate full time, and so as we do our commissioning service today, I'm actually gonna invite April up um, just to share a little bit about uh, what to expect there and kind of what's going on in the mission uh, world. So, April, if you'll come on up, let's welcome April.
1: Thank you for that welcome. one of the greatest joys of getting to work with missions is sending out missionaries, whether it's short-term or long-term, and what an amazing blessing that this year we get to send out two missionary families. Um, if you recall, in January, we sent out the, we commissioned the Penningtons, serving locally with as urban missionaries with Vigilant Hope, and today I would like to invite forward um, a couple who served in various positions of leadership here at Myrtle Grove, as well as um, some other churches in North Carolina and in Ohio. They've served as pastors, ministry, uh, come on up, uh, music directors, led children's ministry. Um, and in 2015, Steve Curtis asked them to consider uh being instructors with um, Timothy, too. And so after a lot of prayer, they were beginning to feel God's call. So welcome with me, Dan and Beth Sonnenberg. Will you um, share with us what God has called you to and what you guys have been doing?
2: Good morning. It's good to be here. Thank you, April. We, uh, uh, as April said, we began back in 2015, considering this call after uh, leaving the church in Ohio, finishing our work there. And uh, Steve invited us to consider working with Timothy too. And honestly, I was not expecting, uh, I was, we were expecting to work uh, as pastor, and music leaders in churches for a, a while longer uh, and uh, so that was sort of a surprise. Uh, many other doors closed, and this door sort of flung wide open. And uh, we, we prayed about that for a number of months and uh, communicated back and forth with Steve about, well, what about fundraising? What about a number of questions that uh, go along with uh, serving in, that, in a mission capacity? And he answered all of our questions, and, and the Lord uh, you know, continued to uh, keep other doors closed and open, opening this door. So uh, in due time we we felt like this was God's call for us and uh, uh, the the board confirmed that and we began to, I began uh, by serving an internship um, uh, with Steve Curtis, the international director, uh, over a two week period in Asia. uh, I observed him teaching in Vietnam and then I had the opportunity to teach a group in uh, Myanmar or Burma. Then the, the remainder of that year, Um, I served, uh, taught a group in Colombia, South America, and then a group in Haiti. Um, Then the following year, uh, I did four weeks uh, almost back to back in in Cuba to finish a group there. And then on that fourth time, uh, Beth joined me also, and I'm going to let her share a little bit as well in a minute. Um, Then uh, uh, last fall, three uh, trips almost back to back again uh, to El Salvador. Belize, and Peru. And then this, this year we began uh, together doing a trip to Cuba, two different locations in Cuba uh, there. So I've been teaching pastors and, uh, and church leaders of uh, various descriptions, both male and female, in these various locations. And Beth, tell them what you've been doing as well.
3: Well, I've been teaching uh, two courses. One is a music course that Dan and I wrote for music ministers and music leaders back when we were here at Myrtle Grove. Uh, I taught that in Cuba, and also I've um, had the opportunity to teach several times now in several different locations about um, how to work with children. And uh, they are so longing for. For knowledge and wisdom in these areas, um, it, it's so hard to get, especially in Cuba. Cuba is the only place I've been thus far. I will be going with him to Peru. I'm not physically able to go every place, but um, when we do get an opportunity to go, the the love that we're shown and the appreciation because we're bringing them something that they can't easily get. You know, in Cuba, they compare themselves to North Korea. Uh, in that the communism has such a strong hold on them. And even though they've relaxed a lot of, of the um, restrictions pertaining to religious um, things, they still have such a stronghold, and the people are so afraid. And also, when you're there, you know, there's so little of Christ and so much of the world. So, what a wonderful opportunity to be able to share with them some new concepts on how to reach children. We know that children are reached a lot more effectively than adults. We know that. Statistics have shown us that. And so, know that that when you give to Timothy 2, you're not only giving to pastors, but you're given so that teachers can learn how to minister to those children, to bring them to Christ at an early age. And, and really, it's like fishing because when they come, the parents come and the grandparents come and the uncles and the aunts. And they get to hear the gospel as well. But these teachers are so excited. With The last group I was with, uh, they said, thank you so much. We've had people come in and and teach in this manner, teach our children this manner, but never has anyone taken the time to teach us how to work with our kids this way. And you've taught us that working in teams is is so much better and easier for us, and we can pray for one another. And not only that, you've taught us that it can be a joy and it can be fun. Because up to that point, they felt like sitting with the children, they felt left out of what you guys are doing or what, what the people are doing in the sanctuary. So it, as much as most of us missionaries hate to, to ask for money, I am learning to ask for money with joy. Not just for us, not just for us, but for all the missionaries because they are being used to take God in places where where he's not always there. And the people in Cuba, they feel abandoned and left out you know, they feel forgotten so many times because they've been under so much oppression. And I know it's that way in other places, too. And most of the places we go are places where people don't have a whole lot of money. You know, they can't afford to go to, to seminary or even to go to college or to go to school. And and they are so excited when somebody comes and brings them something. It's like a jewel of great price to them. We take so many things for granted here in the USA. You know, we can turn on the TV or go on the computer, and we can find just about anything we want or need. But there, it has to be brought into them almost secretively. So continue to pray for those, especially those that are under communistic rule, and pray that God's glory will shine through and that, that there will be revival, particularly in Cuba. They want so much for there to be a revival, and many tears were shed over that. And I just, I, I'm only going on about Cuba because that's the only place I've been, so i hush.
2: <laughs> just one other thing. Uh, back in seminary, one of my professors who had done a lot of overseas work uh, through the years, he told us back then, and, and now I'm applying it now, that uh, when you go overseas into uh, developing nations, most of the pastors who are called and already serving have only about, on average, one hour of formal theological training. So we're going, as well as a number of other groups are doing this, but we're going and filling a need so that they can then teach their people uh, better and better and better. Uh, So we're training the pastors and the church leaders. Beth's training the children's ministry leaders so that they can do a better job with their people. 're not we're not trying to go in and uh, do it ourselves we're training the leaders so that they can train others so uh, uh, that's what our goal is
1: thank you well, you can see that God has clearly called them to this and has been equipping them over the years with the experiences that he's given them the experiences that they've had and and um, As they are our missionaries that we are commissioning today, they live here in Wilmington. Um, They get to go out and get to go to multiple places. They're not just in one location overseas, but they're here and God has called them to reach many areas. Um, So even though they are here, they're living here and they're working part-time, a lot of their time is spent preparing um, for the next trip, communicating with the pastors and training people who are getting ready to do their workshops, and so they are working here part-time, but they need our support financially to send them, Um, and they're going more and more, and it's an amazing thing that God is doing in Latin America, and um, so as our, um, as being part of the home church, we are the home church that is sending them, and um, we get to Play This part and we commit to encourage them and support them and love them as they serve um, And as they're stepping out um, We commission them as a church family and to remember to pray for them and love them and support them So I'd like to ask their close family and friends and the members of the missions committee to come on up Yeah, you can come down here and um so um As you take hold of the rope, um, Doug is going to, yep, go ahead and stand up. Um, As the rope goes down the middle of the aisle, step out into the aisle and take hold of the rope and take hand of the person next to you. Hold hands. And as we stand united together and connected to this family, we stand in union with them as we are going to pray for them and commission them as they go forth to build this kingdom, God's kingdom in Latin America. So God, we thank you. We praise you for what you're doing in the Sonnenbergs and um, the call that you have on their life and that for their faith and um, stepping out in this role. God, we pray that you would continue to give them strength, give them the support that they need and the wisdom. Pray for you you would provide everything that they need financially and give them good health. God, we thank you for what you're doing in them. And um, Lord, show us how to best support them and love them and encourage them.
4: Lord, uh, this place is just heavy with your spirit this morning, Father God. We stand in all your presence. We feel strengthened. We feel strong in you, Lord. We feel empowered you this morning, and this is a perfect time to see Dan and Beth come before the church to be sent out in ministry. Lord, you've known them since the foundation of the earth, and a lot of us have known them for the last 15 to 20 years. Their fingerprints, footprints are all over this place. They've ministered in so many places, and what a team they make. They make a wonderful team, Lord, and we're just excited that they're going out. We know you're going to go before them. We trust you, Lord. We praise you for bringing Timothy 2 around to help kind of mobilize, mobilize us to send people out. And, Lord, we, we know and we trust that the people in this church will pray for them. We, we trust, Lord, that um, as they go out, that Best Mother will be taken care of and watched over. We, Lord, we trust that the boys will be okay. Lord, we believe your word, and we believe that when you send people out like that, that you empower them, you equip them. And I believe that this is the day for Dan and Beth. I believe you prepared them for this for years because what we've discovered is that they are very, very good at doing this. So Lord, I, I want to ask for a couple of things and I know this, this is just something that Dan and Beth are, are praying for. Yeah. Lord, they asked for boldness to proclaim the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you will give them that boldness and it will bear fruit. Lord, they pray for safety in dangerous places. And we pray that you will keep them safe. They pray for physical strength and health. And, Lord, they need that physical strength and health to do what you've equipped them to do. Wisdom in scheduling and planning, that's very difficult in some of the places they'll be going into. And, of course, again, their finances. Lord, you know who you want to give to help them. Pray that you'll remind them more than once, than they did give to this ministry. We praise and glorify you this morning, Father, in Christ's name.
5: Lord, we uh, thank you. Thank you for your deep, unfailing love for Dan and Beth. And thank you for your calling on their lives. Uh, the calling that began before they were even created you knew your calling for them. And, and even though the calling has uh, worked itself out in different ways, it's still the same calling. Same calling, and it's about your love and about worship, bringing worship to places where it's not yet, and about your glory. And uh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for all these pastors and church leaders and children's leaders that they've already taught. And we know that that's the vision that you give us in your word, that they will go out and teach others, and they will disciple others, and your kingdom will grow through that. And you know every one of those pastors by name, Lord. You care deeply, and we pray for them today. We pray through Dan and Beth for your blessing on them and your power and your encouragement for them. Uh, We pray, as Tony prayed, Lord, you just continue to empower Dan and Beth. Enable them with everything that they need, especially with your Holy Spirit. Fill them afresh every day, every uh, trip especially, with the power of your Spirit. And help them to see that it's your work. And uh, they are so privileged to be your, your instruments to go. And it's a great privilege for us to send, Lord, to hold this rope and to send them. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'll make us good holders of the rope. Everything that that includes, Lord, uh, remind us to pray and remind us when maybe no one is praying, remind us to pray. Just quicken us, uh, especially during these trips. And uh, Lord, we we pray that we would send them too uh, with joy and, and according to your will, and even through sacrifice, Lord, that we'll send them and they will know that they're never alone. Even in hard times, Lord, remind them, first of all, that you never leave them. Uh, Your unfailing love is always with them. And also, we are with them. We're with them, and we're sending them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Well, thank the Lord for special opportunities like that and how fitting that they would make one of their chief prayer requests for boldness. That's exactly what we see in the text before us today. And so if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open it to Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 31. If you haven't done so already, Acts 4. 1 through 31. And if you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to use one provided for you, you'll find it right there in the back of the pew in front of you. The shorter, dark brown book there is the Bible. And you'll find this on page 772 or 812. 772 or 812, depending on which printing of that you have. And one of the interests I have had in studying the book of Acts is that we get to see how the church related to the world as they moved out of a Jewish culture and into a pagan culture. And there are lessons that we can learn from that as we ourselves move out of a Christian culture and into a post-Christian culture. And of course, that's happening because as we stand still, the culture is moving, right? The The culture is moving for us, if you will, or in spite of us, however you want to look at it but we're moving from a Christian culture into a post-Christian culture. And there are things we can learn from the first century church about how they related to the world differently in a Jewish Jerusalem than they did as they moved out into Samaria and the uttermost parts of of the world. The message stayed the same. The methods changed somewhat. And I've been reminded of the relevance of that concern to sort of adapt and adjust and so forth. Over the last few weeks, as I have read some articles about a couple of federal court decisions, it reminds us of this shifting culturally that's happening in front of us. The first of those decisions was a ruling in favor of Wheaton College, who had sued the federal government in response to the contraceptive mandate of the Affordable Care Act. And I don't know if you saw this headline. Um, They said... In the beginning, we will not, as a Christian institution, we will not provide what we consider to be abortion-inducing drugs because that would be a violation of our religious principles. And they stood fast on that. And after a five-year battle, the court agreed with them and ruled in their favor. The second case involved a Canadian court and to get the gist of the case, uh, the BBC News headline read this way. Court rules parents do not need to lie about the Easter bunny. <laughs> that was the BBC headline. And uh, not knowing who might be in our audience today, I'm, I'm going to try not to uh, to say, what is the truth or what is a lie about the Easter bunny? But that was the uh, uh, gist of the case that this Christian couple get this prior to this court case, deciding uh, the court deciding in their favor, this Christian couple had their foster children removed their foster home closed. They were barred from future adoptions because they refused to lie to their children about the Easter Bunny. Again, thank, thankfully the court ruled in their favor. But I mentioned those cases because um, it, not, to, not to give you something else to be mad about, but uh, but to <laughs> but to illustrate that as worldviews collide on cultural turf, we may be put. In situations where someone commands us to do something that violates the law of God, and when that moment arises, we must be prepared to boldly defy that command. Because we're teetering culturally. Nobody's really looking for the middle ground or how to sort of blend worldviews. It's it's a sort of either-or proposition. Again, that it's illustrated by what's at stake in these court cases. And uh, that moment may arise for any or all of us. And that doesn't mean that we, we just need to become defiant, contrarian sort of people. Again, angry and, and sort of defiant in spirit. We can be loving and gracious and winsome people who at the appointed hour speak boldly for the right reasons and in the right ways. And so I've, I've titled this message, How to Be Bold Without Being Obnoxious. Now, I didn't say you'll notice without being offensive because the gospel can be offensive. The truth can be offensive. The name of Jesus actually just by itself can be offensive, especially in this day and age where people seem to be just sitting around scrolling the internet looking for reasons to be offended. So uh, we we can't make our primary goal to, to avoid offense, but we can avoid being obnoxious By which I mean just being rude or extremely unpleasant. And there's no need for us to be condescending and sarcastic and so forth, even as people who stand boldly and speak boldly for the truth. And so let's look now to the text in Acts 4, 1 through 31. And I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 1, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, hear the word of the Lord. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they, refer, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in, to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them and let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you as always for your word. And that we can come to it with the expectation that when it is preached, your voice is heard. And that's what we ask for as always, Lord, that this morning you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory. And as always, we know it's for our good, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we saw in Acts 3 that uh, Peter and John had gone up to the temple at the scheduled hour of prayer, and sitting at the gate as they entered was a man who, who had a physical disability that he had had since birth. He was unable to walk and therefore unable to work, and so he begged daily and asked for alms from people um, as a way to make his living, so to speak. And Peter told him he didn't have any silver or gold to give him, but instead he gave him what he did have. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man did rise up, and he went into the temple walking and leaping and praising God, and everyone there recognized this man because he had sat there at the gate every day as they came and went they saw him. They knew exactly who he was. And a crowd formed at this sight and commotion. And pre- Peter preached the gospel to them, told them that forgiveness was available through repentance and faith in Jesus. And so we read here in Acts chapter 4 that as they were speaking to the people, the rulers of the temple confronted them. So this is just a continuation of that account of what had transpired in the temple in the previous chapter. And as they were speaking and those authorities confronted them, we can learn from their response four ways to be bold without being obnoxious. And they are number one, to pray for boldness. Number two, develop Christ centered convictions. Number three, consider who you're talking to. And number four, desire God's approval over man's approval. So let's look firstly to pray for boldness. Look at verses 29 through 31. And I'm starting at the end. Of course, um, he responded boldly and then prayed for more boldness. So verse 29 through 31 says, and now now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I'm going to move quickly, especially through these first two points, but but we do want to notice a few things about their prayer. First of all, just pay special attention to the fact that they asked for boldness, They didn't even ask for safety. Uh, They didn't ask for favor with the Jewish leaders. They asked for boldness. Now, it may be perfectly legitimate to ask for safety or to ask for favor with people. Uh, It wasn't even part of their prayer, perhaps because they knew uh, no reason to expect that. They knew who they were dealing with here. They ask for boldness. Second, they ask God to fortify their boldness by performing more healings, signs, and wonders through the name of Jesus. This is part of what happens in the book of Acts, that not only um, do healings and miracles and so forth just serve their own purpose in bringing the kingdom of God to bear in the personal life of that individual, but also in that they... Undergird the testimony of the apostles. That the God about whom they speak really shows up in performing um, signs among the people. And then third, God's provision of boldness came by a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. These people who had been filled with the Spirit, if no other time than in the book of, uh, in, in Acts chapter 2, right, where the Holy Spirit was poured out and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Here they are, they're filled again. And this is part of where we get our understanding that the the filling of the Holy Spirit is uh, not just sort of a one-time episode, but that it's an ongoing experience in the life of the believer by which he empowers us for the service he calls us to. And boldness in this case was the sign they had been filled they asked for boldness and they got it. So in any situation where we might otherwise be timid and hesitant to stand firm as ambassadors of Christ, we ought to just pray that God will give us a boldness to do exactly that. So number one, the, the way that we uh, speak boldly is to ask for boldness. Number two, develop Christ-centered convictions. Look in verses 11 through 13 where Peter is responding to their question, in whose name have you done this? And Peter says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Peter and John have firm, deeply held beliefs, and they're just acting out of what they believe. See, no one can, they are so convinced, they know who Jesus is. They walked with him. They received what it is they're proclaiming now, they received directly from him, not only while they were walking with him in ministry over a three-year period, but even after his resurrection in those 40 days, they've received this revelation directly. They've seen what he's done. They're, they're convinced, and nobody can unconvince them of that fact. And now the revelation of what they had received has been recorded for us in the scriptures. So as those who need like them to develop convictions, we find them by developing a biblical understanding of the world that we live in, an understanding of what is the big story of the Bible that unfolds. So I'm not talking here about uh, finding Bible verses that just justify my opinions, right? That's not what I mean by biblical convictions, that I form opinions based on whatever other reasons and then find Bible verses to justify them. Uh, sort of like pin the tail on the donkey, you know? Sort of pin the, pin the verse on the opinion, you know? You just go and fish out whatever supports the view you've already formed. That I'm talking about allowing the Bible to reshape our thinking and to form convictions uh, out of that and then living from that place. So that's what I, what I mean when I say developing Christ-centered convictions. Not only had they received truth From him, but they had been with him, and it was so evident they could tell from their response and from their boldness that even as uneducated men, they were impressive, and it was clear that they had been with Jesus. So, we want to develop Christ centered convictions. If you don't have any convictions, you will not be bold about anything. I mean, you will just melt and bend and uh, And give in to whatever if you don't have convictions about anything, but number three, consider who you 're talking to and, and this is really important. Uh, this is to perhaps uh, where these last these third and fourth points kind of the crux of the matter. verses one verse one and then verses five and six mention different individuals or groups among the temple authorities, and so We should know, first of all, that the temple is the political and religious nerve center of Israel. It's not just a place of worship, okay? It is the political and religious nerve center of Israel. Most of the temple leaders came from the party of the Sadducees. Those are mentioned in verse one. We hear about them uh, scattered throughout the gospels as well. The Sadducees and Pharisees are the other party that's mentioned most often, but the Sadducees made up most of the temple leaders. They were an upper-class, wealthy minority of people, and yet they held a lot of power. Uh, Whereas the Pharisees were more of a middle-class bunch, there were many more of them. They were more of a majority party. And and their activity was centered in synagogues spread throughout the, the world wherever there were Jews, as opposed to the Sadducees, whose activity and power was centered in uh, the temple. But th- these are powerful people who are, who are politically minded and politically motivated. Now, this is important when, when, when I say understand who you're talking to. They knew exactly who they were talking to. In John eleven forty eight 48 through 50, you don't have to turn there, although you're certainly welcome to. But after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, The Jewish leaders, some of whom we just read about right here, the Jewish leaders gathered, and here's what they said. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now, I don't know if you follow the train of thought there, but but notice he didn't say, if we go on like this, everyone will believe in him and turn away from God. Everyone will believe in him and God will be dishonored. That is nowhere in their thinking. They said everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. These are politically minded, politically motivated people who hold on to power by the good graces of the Romans. What they don't want is people beginning to stir up messianic hope and expectation, talking about a king among them, that the Romans catch wind in and and come and quash. That's what they're trying to put down. And that's why they plot to kill Jesus, even in violation of the law that they're supposed to be upholding as leaders of the people of God. And so that helps us understand a little better why it says in verse 2, they're annoyed with the teaching of Peter and John. And, And why, even though a miracle had undeniably been performed... And this formerly lame man was standing beside them. In verse 17, did you notice that? This lame man who has never been able to stand before. He has been lame all his life. He's begged at that same temple gate for years and years and years. He's been raised up in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and he's standing beside them. And what do they say? Well, to be sure it spreads no further, You know, we can't put up with healing and blessing <laughs> and that sort of thing around here. To be sure it spreads no further, let's tell them not to preach in that name. Anymore. So you understand what's going on there. It doesn't matter to him, th- them about whether people turn away from God. Really, it, it certainly doesn't matter to them whether people are crippled or walking. What matters is that they remain in control of the situation so that they remain in favor With the Romans. They're not interested in having dialogue about the scriptures or really even talking about spiritual things at all. They're interested in staying in control and they have the power to maintain that control, even if it means violating God's law or commanding others to violate God's law. That's who they're talking to. And so the application for us is that if and when, rulers or authorities presume to compel us to obey them instead of God, we must be prepared to boldly say to them, no, we will not do it. That was what Wheaton College did. That was what this Canadian couple did. And you can bet in in the lifetime of some people sitting here right now, and I don't know uh, how young you must be to encounter this, but as I said, we're teetering on it Even now as a culture, we're not looking for middle ground. It's sort of going one way or the other. And that hour is sure to come. And those authorities that command that may be elected officials, judges, law enforcement officers, teachers or professors, or even just an angry mob. But our boldest voice should be reserved for speaking truth to power. Of course, the other side of the coin is that we don't need to speak to everyone as if we're speaking to power, okay? Most of the time, we're just speaking to regular people. And uh, to them, we can be gracious and loving and long-suffering, even if they are combative and antagonistic, We don't have to speak as if we're speaking back to the emperor, as it were, to the king, to the temple authorities, to every individual. It's there that we can be most gracious and most loving and most long suffering. But when we're speaking to power, we need to be prepared to speak boldly. And these kind of things require discernment. But but to me, the one distinction that's helpful is how much power does your listener exert? And the greater the power, the greater our boldness needs to be. It's actually almost opposite of what most people expect it to be, quite, quite humble and contrite in the face of power, right? Don't want to say much to, to upset uh, those who are in power and authority, and yet um, for people who are able to exert power or authority over other people, then that's what they do. In the kingdom of God, it's it's exactly the other way around. Where we could could, uh, exert power, we don't. It's there that we're forbearing and loving and gracious. Where power is exerted over us. Uh, We're good citizens of the state until the state commands us to do What's contrary to the law and the will of God. And then we need to be prepared to say, no, we will not. And we'll see throughout our study, the apostles didn't speak to everyone in exactly the same way. And neither should we. Well, the, the fourth point is how, so how you, uh, how you can be bold without being obnoxious is desire God's approval over man's Approval. You could also say fear God more than you fear man or love God more than you love the things of this world. This is the heart of the issue in verses 18 through 20. Look there real quickly. So they called, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, not to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, Peter says, we're going to continue to preach because that's what God has told us to do. And you'll just have to judge for yourselves whether you think that's right or not. Do with it what you will, but we're going to obey God rather than men. They were entirely concerned about what God thought and not at all concerned with what these men thought in spite of the fact that they knew these were the evil men that had put Jesus to death. That's why I wanted to flash back to John chapter 11. They knew exactly who they're dealing with. These were not idle threats and they knew it. They knew it. They had teeth in them. They'd seen it happen before. This is this is the reason why we would expect when Jesus said, "Remain in Jerusalem, that everybody there would be thinking, Jerusalem is the last place I wanna remain. <laughs> Jerusalem is the place I wanna see in my rearview mirror for exactly this reason. But Peter and John feared God more than they feared men. You know, I, I, it seems many times we would like to serve God while being assured that we can hold on to our fortune and favor with men, favor uh, with people. We don't wanna lose friends or clients. We don't want the scoffs and scorn of other people. Many of us, it seems, would like a comfortable Christianity that costs us nothing. But we are never offered that kind of Christianity. Jesus never offered that. In fact, he told us to expect exactly the opposite. In Luke 14, he said, being his disciple is really hard and really costly. He said, if you do not hate your own family, you cannot be his disciple. If you do not bear your own cross, you cannot be his disciple. If you don't renounce all that you have, you cannot be his disciple. If everything, everything is less important than he is, you cannot be his disciple. That's how costly following Jesus is. We're not offered. We're not offered another faith in him. We're not given any reason to expect comfort, and coziness, or that we can hold on to the things that make life cushy. And unless God grants us another great awakening, the day will come, as I said before, where being a committed follower of Christ will cost much more than social standing. The day is coming when, Wheaton, uh, like Wheaton College and like this Canadian couple, we'll be faced with decisions either to deny God or defy the law, and we can take inspiration from people throughout church history who have faced the same kind of things like Polycarp, you may have never heard of, a disciple of the apostle John who's right here in Acts chapter four, who at the threat of being burned at the stake was ordered to burn incense to the Roman emperor and in doing so to deny Christ. And he said, 80 and six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I now blaspheme my king and savior? And he was burned at the stake. And when the fires wouldn't reach him, they stabbed him with a sword to put him to death with praise to God on his lips as he died. Or Martin Luther, who by the grace of God, avoided martyrdom, but who when pressured to recant at risk of martyrdom, recant some of his writings, he replied, my conscience is captive to the word of God, I cannot and will not recant because to to go against conscience would be neither right nor safe. And again, by the grace of God, he actually escaped the martyrdom that he expected he would receive when he made that speech. And Sir Thomas More, who refused to swear allegiance to King Henry VIII as head of the Church of England, And just before he was beheaded, on the platform, said to the crowd, I die the king's good servant, but God's first. And these men, like countless martyrs down through the centuries and like countless others, even in the 21st century around the world who are being persecuted and even killed for their faith, they all develop the conviction that God's approval was more desirable than man's approval and that the heavenly reward was worth whatever the earthly cost. So we need to be prepared to speak truth to power in power, but we also need to be prepared to speak the truth in love to most people. And on some occasions, even just to love and don't speak. John 1.14 says the word became flesh speaking of Jesus or the, the eternal son of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. When Jesus the son of God took on flesh and revealed God to men. What men most notably beheld about the person of God about his divinity was a fullness of grace and truth. May it be said of us that we're bold people, full of truth, but also loving people, full of grace. And may people recognize that because of that fact, that we too have been with Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus that you paid for our redemption. The life that we now live, we we owe entirely to you. So Lord, would you make us people who overflow with gratitude and faithfulness and obedience, who are willing to speak boldly when boldness is called for. Lord, give us the boldness to speak truth to power. Give us the boldness even just to move past our own fears about what other people will think of us when when we have an opportunity and a need to tell people about Jesus. Fill us with your spirit so full and overflowing, Lord. Show us by your hand Evidence of your continuing greatness of power that you want to work among mankind, Lord. Give us all the reason to speak boldly in the name of Jesus, to your glory and in his name. Amen.